Hey, good morning, everybody. It's Herb Morgan, Senior Managing Director, Chief Investment Officer here at Efficient Market Advisors. We are a business of Cantor Fitzgerald Investment Advisors. This is my weekly economic commentary along with market commentary for the week beginning today, Monday, November 1st, 2021. If you want more frequent updates, follow me on Twitter at ETF underscore strategist or on LinkedIn, Herb Morgan. This is available both as a weekly email, which shows you the slides and graphs that I'm referring to, or as a podcast available on all the different podcast formats. The name of the podcast is Slaying Bulls and Bears. Everything you're seeing and or hearing is designed to be used by either financial advisors or investors. Each are expected to make their own investment decisions, however. Nothing contained in this presentation is investment advice, nor should it be treated as such. There are no recommendations for the purchase or sale of any security. This is exclusively for informational purposes and does not constitute any form of advice. We had another positive week in equity markets as measured by the S&P 500 last week, bringing the yearly gains to nearly 25%. Small, mid, international markets and particularly emerging markets were all slightly negative last week. Um, This was result of earnings season coming in much better than expected for big cap U.S technology companies. You can see that they dominate the S&P 500 index now, they dominate the NASDAQ composite, the NASDAQ 100, and they drove that S&P 500 higher. Also, surprisingly to me, was that bonds got a bid and the uh, 10-year Treasury yield declined, sending the U.S. aggregate bond index up about a half a percent on the week. Let's dig into the economic data, which continues pretty much across the board to show that inflation is turning out to be a little less than transitory. We'll get into that as I progress in the presentation today. Let's start with the August FHFA house price index. I know it's November 1st today, but that's housing data always has the biggest lag because it has to be compiled. It's not, you know, it's not an easy real time indicator. Uh, Home prices rose 1% in August. They're up 18.5% on a year over year basis, certainly an unsustainable rate of gain. Um, We expect, as do most economists, further increases to be muted significantly, mostly because affordability. Uh, It's just impossible to afford for many first-time buyers at this price. Similar data out from S&P's Case-Shiller Home Price Index. Uh, It was up 1.17. That was a little below expectations, but that's up almost 20%, 19.66 on a year ago basis. Again, very unsustainable. We expect these numbers to cool. They need to cool um, for sure. But new home sales, this is September now, surged uh, to an annualized pace of 800,000. Prior month, August was revised a little bit lower but that's a big pickup you see on the right-hand side of the screen there. Not quite to that million mark we were at earlier, but seeing that surge, we got, of course, low rates, uh, people getting back to work, a little more confidence, et cetera. Speaking of confidence, we had consumer confidence from the conference board for October, rose to 113. That was a nice little pop there. It was above estimates of 108. Present situation rose to 147. Um, expectations rose to 90.91. Mostly this was declining COVID fears. Um, I'll show you in the next slide. Let's get right into it. 
Um, here it is, here's the COVID data. First, upper left, number of COVID-19 patients in the hospital in the United States declining at a very rapid pace. Uh, this is due to lower cases, but it's also due to better uh, treatments, more readily available antivirals. Uh, this is all good news. The ICU patients continues a very sharp drop as well. Uh, you can see ICU patients in the United States now is getting down to you know, 15,000. This is a, you know, a 320 million person uh, country. So that's really good. And the number of uh, daily deaths that are associated with COVID still mostly attributed to those people with pre-existing medical conditions. Uh, but good news there, that number is continuing to decline. And that is having a direct impact on consumer confidence, the willingness of consumers to get out of their homes, go out and spend money uh, and support the economy. Durable goods for September fell a little bit after a big gain uh, in August. That's the norm for good, nor durable goods, right? Some ups and downs. We've had very few downs and the downs we've had are very, very low. Uh, cap goods rising. Um, big impact on GDP. Looks like, because this was September, that's the last month in October, that, 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 that didn't save uh, the third quarter. It's the last month of the third quarter, but it does, it did suggest as I read through it that we're gonna have some pretty good momentum in the fourth quarter, which started in October for durable goods, uh, which again, GDP was not great in the third quarter, mostly because, not mostly, exclusively because of supply chain issues. I guess a little bit because of COVID uh, issues, but those both are gonna be worked out. Uh, supply chain is gonna take longer than one quarter, but anyway. Initial claims for unemployment fell from 290 to 280, 281 to be exact, continuing claims declined again. So this is great news, right? We're seeing continuing claims. One of the things I've noticed though, is that the, the initial claims are being heavily influenced by what's going on in my home state, California. This graph, the orange line is that decline. I just showed you 281,000. Now different scale here on the right-hand scale and in gray, I've got the percentage of those claims that are in California. California is 12% of the US population, but accounts for more than double in its percentage of unemployment claims. Why? California used COVID relief money to expand funds available for unemployment claims. If you make more money available, you will have more claims. So here in California, we are lagging the rest of the country substantially in getting uh, people back to work. Uh, our legislature has elected to use those funds in that way and our governor uh, and so we are accounting for as much as 25% of the weekly claims for unemployment. So if you back out California, you can see, and you assume California will eventually run out of those additional pandemic relief funds, then I think we, what this is telling us is that the labor market is in better shape even than the headline number, and the headline number is pretty good, 280. Uh, we, at the very height of uh, the prior cycle and, and having good numbers. We were down at 230 on a weekly basis. The labor market was getting tight. We are definitely seeing labor inflation though, and that can be a little bit of a concern. I mentioned the GDP number. 
Uh, third quarter GDP was, you know, it was GDP now, the Atlanta Fed tracker was trending at, you know, down at a half a percent. Fortunately, it came in at uh, 2%. That was below the consensus estimate on Bloomberg of 2.6, not nearly the nearly 7% we had in Q2, uh, but it had everything to do with supply chain and the shortage of semiconductors really retarded growth in the auto industry. That alone, the auto industry uh, subtracted about 2.4% from GDP growth. Now that Fed, the Atlanta Fed tracking indicator that we all watch switched from Q3 to Q4 once that first number is reported. And now we're looking at 6.6% for Q4. So that's a good thing um, indeed. Pending home sales uh, fell 2.3%. They're down 7% from a year ago. Again, low inventory, not expected to get better between now and the end of the year. This was the biggest news of the week in terms of economic data. In my opinion, the employment cost index is the gauge that the Fed uses to determine uh, where we are with wage inflation that would contribute to overall inflation. There's many, many different indicators, but because this one is traditionally not super volatile, the Fed has said, we really like it, we rely on it, to predict where inflation is heading. And they have, they have cited this as one of the reasons they're not, they haven't been overly concerned and that they believe inflation is largely transitory. However, this big gain in third quarter employment costs index estimate was for 0.9. It came in much higher, 1.3 is up 3.7 on a year to year basis. Tells me that um, in the words of Gerald Ford, President Ford in 1976 with his win buttons, the red button, we all remember those who were around in 1976, whip inflation now. The Fed meets this week, Tuesday and Wednesday of this week. The Fed, I do not believe will raise rates this week, although I do believe now at this point they are behind the curve. This data point is undeniable. The Fed will address this in their comments this week. They will say, that uh, inflation has exceeded their expectations, that is at this point becoming a little bit sticky. Um, and I think that will get the markets ready for a rate hike sooner, not this month. They're gonna announce the tapering of their asset purchases. They will announce that uh, probably Wednesday and begin that either immediately or in the month of December. But th this here is not transitory, this is an auto uh, this isn't gasoline or anything of that um, nature. So something to keep your eye out. Speaking of inflation, core PCE inflation, the red line here is the number that the Fed uses to determine whether or not they're meeting their statutory mandate. Green dash line is 2%. That is their target. You can see the red is maybe mellowed out a little. It hasn't turned back lower, hasn't turned back lower at all. 3.6% on a year-over-year -year basis, the Fed will no doubt have to raise interest rates. Question is how quickly uh, they plan to do that. So moving on, personal income and spending. Personal income fell 1% after gaining two-tenths in August. It's 4% higher than it was a year ago. Why did it drop? Transfer payments starting to um, uh, wane a little bit. Uh, personal spending was up six-tenths of a percent. Uh, that is on, obviously, the lower COVID cases and folks getting out and doing things and having fun again. But, you know, anything we see in a slowdown, it, it's an economic number that in a normal year, I'd say, wow, that big drop is 
terrible or whatever. It's not because it's, it's a supply issue, not a demand issue. Having a lack of demand is a bigger problem than having a lack of supply. So moving on, Chicago PMI rose from 64.7 to 68.4, blew the estimates out. Uh, this shows, this is just the Chicago region, but suggestive of larger US manufacturing demand, which we expect to continue strong in the fourth quarter. Consumer sentiment from the University of Michigan, not the conference board, this is the Michigan one, fell a little bit. Current conditions fell a little bit and expectations fell a little bit. I expect that number to turn around sharply this month. Uh, in terms of earnings season, we've got about 280 of the S&P 500, 500-ish names reporting. You can see 230 out of 279 uh, have exceeded earnings estimates. Um, only 37 companies have uh, failed to exceed estimates. Um, earnings surprises average about 10%. And I see this on my screen every day as the earnings come through. Uh, and it is much better than the analyst community expected. We expected uh, problems related to supply chain. We expected more problems related to cost and wage pressure, which would hurt margins. Um, but this graph here shows you that the analysts are edging their estimates higher on a daily basis. As more companies report, they're revising their estimates higher for the forward 12 months. So this is the forward earnings estimate for the S&P 500. The before earnings season began, people were thinking this number would start to roll over to the high 190s, mid 190s through this earnings season. But companies are saying they do have uh, pricing power. They're able to pass these costs through. And so estimates are getting revised higher to $210 a share for the further for, for the next 12 months in the S&P 500. Lots of economic data this week, lots of earnings this week. Look how poor this October vehicle sales is. This is because of the semiconductor shortage, not a lack of demand. It is helping ma uh, margins of uh, manufacturers, but uh, you know dealers are not, you know, dealers margins are good too, but they're selling far, far, far fewer, fewer cars. Uh, ADP employment will have the big jobs report, uh, expecting 400,000 and a 4.7% unemployment rate. But all of this, as important as it is, nothing compares to what the Fed says. We know they're not going to raise rates. We think that with very high confidence. We also think with very high confidence they're going to announce a taper. It all comes down to the language and the communication, and they need to recognize the reality of the inflation data that's coming in. I think if they do that and they send a message to the markets that things are well in hand, that they have it under control, then I think the market could be wrong, could be could rally. However, I think if the Fed continues that sort of see no evil stance that just transitory and they can't be dismissive, I think uh, they have, um, well, they have a statutory obligation to maintain price stability. So this is the law given, you know, this is the rules given to them by Congress. So we'll see. Anyway, thanks for tuning in. Don't forget about the podcast. Give me a thumbs up and a like, retweet it, Facebook post it, whatever you can. We need more listeners. We appreciate it. Appreciate all your help. I thank you. And we'll be back again in one week.